Shalom, and welcome to Kehilat Rosh Pina, a dynamic, multicultural, and growing Messianic Jewish congregation located in the heart of Oklahoma City and led by Rabbi Michael Weigand. Our goal is to bring you the message of the Word each week from a Jewish perspective and to exalt the Messiah Yeshua as Lord and Savior overall. We are a loving congregation made up of both Jew and Gentile, now one in the Messiah, with Shabbat morning services at 10.40 a.m. and various studies throughout the week. Please come and join us next time you are in Oklahoma City. We would love to have you. And now, we hope you enjoyed today's message. Today's message will take you not only to what's happening around this time of the year, this time of history, but we're going to go all the way back to ancient times, back to the days of Hosea the prophet, Hosea the prophet. We'll be looking at some of his life and some of what he said, but uh, I would be very remiss if I didn't begin this particular message by reading a passage of scripture. It's from the book of Messianic Jews, the book of Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. Many of you have this passage memorized. It's a particularly significant passage, uh, and it does connect with the thoughts that are on my heart that I'm sharing with you here this morning. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, but without faith it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. This verse of scripture, again, I believe many of you have this passage memorized. It is a very deep passage of scripture. Uh, it, it, it's a passage with some absolutes in it. For example, and I emphasized it as I read it, and you probably noticed it, the very first statement in this passage, Hebrews eleven six, says, without faith it is impossible to please him. It shows us how important our trust in the Lord and our Messiah really is. And this particular passage of Scripture, I'm beginning this message with this passage of Scripture because it brings to mind something that I encountered this week that I want to share with you. I encountered this week the results of a survey that had been taken in 2021, and it was a rather extensive survey of 2,000 people, adults, 2,000 adults. And as I was reading the article that was breaking down the results of this surveys, and surveys and surveys, you, you know, I don't know. But I, I was uh, interested in the individuals or the community or actually the university that had commissioned this survey. It was from the Arizona Christian University's Cultural Research Center. Now, I don't know anything about that university, but I did like the topic that they were researching. Their researchers found, and I'm just going to read you some of what they found. Their researchers found that 43% of millennials born between 1984 and 2002 said they, and this is a quote now, they, quote, don't know, care, or believe that God exists, end quote. Wow. Who said that? <laughs> yeah, but that's what got my attention to read this survey. 
I want to read that again. 43% of millennials, and they give the time frame of what they considered millennials, which would be ages uh, from 1984 to 2002. And I remember several years ago at a major rabbi's conference that I was attending in Orlando, Florida, that there was discussion about how do you break down these generations or all these terms, you were going to encounter some more terms here in just a moment, all these terms that designate, for example, the term millennial, well, what date is that? What age group is that? What years are we talking about? And I like the integrity of this survey because they actually defined what they were calling the millennials, which was 1984 to 2002. And by the way, this same group, the same survey, they found out that the same group that only 57% of them identified as being Christian, only 57%. The researchers also found, and again, I'm going to share with you some, some data from their research of 2,000 people uh, personally interviewed. They also found that belief in the Lord declined between generations as they started looking at the various individuals in their ages, started compiling the data. They saw that there was a trend downward concerning belief in the Lord that had declined over the generations, over the different groupings. As they did their research, they realized this. For example... 83% they found in their survey, 83% of those in what they called the silent generation. That's the generation, according to their definition, that was born between 1927 and 1945, the silent generation. I had to laugh when I thought, well, how did you get a survey out of the silent generation? <laughs> I mean, how did you get that silent generation to answer you? But they did somehow. 83% of those in the silent generation born 1927 to 1945, 79% of what they described as the baby, baby boomers born 1946 to 1964, and 70% of Generation Xers, as they described, from 19, born 1965 to 1983, they identified themselves as Christians. 90% 90 of those in the silent generation, according to this survey of 2,000 people, 90% of those in the silent generation, 81% among baby boomers, 53% of Gen Xers, and 48% of millennials believe the, gold, believe the golden rule, the golden rule being as they defined it in their survey, you treat others as you want them to treat you. They believe that. But those who said, you try to get even with people who have wronged you, <laughs> also declined from the generations. 38% of millennials born between 1984 and 2002 advocated getting even, getting even. Whereas only 10%, again, I don't know how they got it out of the silent generation, but 10% of them, born 1927 to 1945, advocated getting even. So 10% of the older generation versus a total of 38% of the millennials, uh, they said, yes, you get even with that person. So the survey is interesting because one of the things they, they surveyed them about was, do you believe in the golden rule? Then they followed that up with a question about getting even with someone. Interesting data. Well, the survey was done in the year 2021. 
And how many of you remember what was happening in 2021? It was a pretty, pretty serious time here. We were coming out of a, and reopening from what's commonly called a serious pandemic. And if you remember back then, and I won't specifically point out uh, places, but if you remember back then, um, in certain pockets of this nation, certain areas, geographical areas of this nation, and dare I say in certain states of this nation, they considered that tattoo parlors and abortion clinics were considered essential and thus were allowed to reopen. Meanwhile, there was a struggle over reopening houses of worship. Some of you recall that. That's historical data. So as I've pondered the results, and I've shared you just a little bit of these results from Arizona Christian University. As I pondered the results of the 2021 survey they did of 2,000 people, I began to wonder, and maybe you would also, I began to wonder, what would the great men and women of faith say? How would they respond to hearing data like this? And there was much more. I just shared with you a snippet of it. How would they respond? What would they say in response when they heard the data about faith in the Lord and the data about getting revenge, how would they respond? And as I think is a good policy or a good practice for any of us, when you have a question, you know right where you go to prayer and the word, prayer and the word. So I began to thumb through scripture. I mean, a good old book, a Bible. I began to thumb through scripture and think about how might some of the, the great men and women of God, how would they have responded to some of this data that to me does get my attention from 2021, just a, a year ago? How would they have responded? And I began to come up with some possible responses. And I want to share some of them with you here this morning. Maybe there would have been a response that reflects Tehillim Psalm 14 verses 1 and 2. There we read, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They have done abominable works. There is none who does good. And then verse 2 of Tehillim Psalm 14, the Lord looks down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there are any who understand, who seek God. Or maybe they would have responded with the words from another psalm, Psalm 100 verse 3, where it says, Know that the Lord, He is God. It is He who made us, and not we ourselves. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. Maybe they would have responded to that as they saw some of the statistics showing increasingly as the generations pass that there are those who no longer believe in God and His existence. And again, the passage that we began this message with Messianic Jews chapter 11, verse 6 says, Without faith, without trust, without belief, it is impossible to please him. Or maybe they would have used the words of Yermiahu, Jeremiah chapter 16, verse 20. Ayaselo Adam Elohim, it begins in Hebrew. Will a man make gods for himself, which are not gods? Therefore, behold, I will this once cause them to know I will cause them to know my hand and my might, and they shall know that Shmi Adonai, my name is 
the Lord. Or maybe it would be a response from the words of Daniel, Daniel the prophet. It was given that he gave concerning the last days of humanity. In Daniel chapter 12, beginning with verse 8, maybe somebody would have responded when they heard the survey with thoughts like this. Daniel responds and he says, although I heard, I did not understand. Then I said, my Lord, what shall be the end of these things? Isn't that a question I have when I read servers like this? Where's this all leading to? What shall be the end of this? With generation, with a deterioration and how we need revival in this nation. We need revival, new life to come into each generation. From the silent generation all the way up to the current generation. Although I heard, I did not understand. Then I said, my Lord, what shall be the end of these things? And he said, go your way, Daniel. Go your way, for the words are closed up and sealed to the time of the end. Verse 10 of Daniel 12, many shall be purified. Are you being purified by the Holy Spirit? Some of the things coming into your life, are they coming upon you with great surprise? You're wondering where this comes from, and it's actually the work of God going on deep inside of you. Some of it's the result of our own stupid and bad decisions, but God is at work also. Many shall be purified, made white, and refined. And then, sadly, Daniel continues in chapter 12, but the wicked shall do wickedly and none of the wicked shall understand but the wise shall understand Daniel says yeah if there were a one word spoken to Israel if there was one word spoken to Israel that I think applies to maybe this generation one word spoken to Israel it may be a word that comes out of the book of Hosea, Hosea, from the prophet Hosea, which is part of our Haftorah reading this week, this holy time of the year, as, as uh, Terry mentioned. It may be the word that we find in, the, he, in Hosea chapter 14, verse 2, although it's Hosea 14, verse 1 in the English text. And that Hebrew word is a simple word. It's only two syllables, but it is rife and packed with meaning and importance, especially when it's applied to a human life like yours or mine, or applied to a generation like the generation we have growing up now. That Hebrew word is the word shuvah. Can you say shuvah? Shuvah. It's found in Hosea chapter 14 verse 2 in the Hebrew text translated in Hosea chapter 14 verse 1. There's a slight difference in the numbering between the Hebrew and the English. That word shuvah means, has many different meanings depending on context, but the basic meaning of that word is return. Return. The entirety of Hosea chapter 14 verse 1 as the English states it is this, quote, Return, O Israel, to the Lord your God. For you have stumbled because of your iniquity. And as I think of Hosea, as I mentioned in the beginning, we'll be going back in history some when I think of Hosea. 
And I think about the generation that he lived in. I think about the time when he prophesied. I am delighted to know that he was faithful in the midst of all that. And that we have to this very day, we have his word that God gave to him that he spoke. Now, the story of the Hebrew prophet Hosea is very intriguing to me. He lived in what some historians consider the very worst time of Israel's history. One of the worst times. It was a time, he lived at a time just before the Assyrians banished the northern kingdom of Israel, took them captive, left just a small remnant there. And that's when he was called to prophesy. How many of you agree that's a tough time to have to speak to someone? And life at that time in Israel was characterized by what has been called severe wickedness. There was political lawlessness, and injustice was rampant at that time. So there was political lawlessness and injustice, and it just permeated the society. You can read about it in the words of the prophets. You can read about it in the book of Chronicles, about what happened at that time to the northern kingdom. At that time, people were worshiping nature. <laughs> they worshiped nature instead of the one who created, the creator, the nature. And God's will and his commandments, they were basically disobeyed as if they were of no relevance. Vast segments of the population, and I mean vast segments of the population historically, turned completely away from the things of God and the God of Israel. And they started doing their own thing, creating their own religion, creating their own commandments, creating their own everything. Each one was doing, as the book of Shoftim says, each one was doing what was right in his own eyes. And Daniel was called to prophesy to that group. And there's even more to it. Dishonesty to God and man prevailed. Truth was at a premium. It was dishonesty and lie. Bloodshed was commonplace. Injustice and oppression, they were the norm. Adultery was widespread. And sadly, it was sanctified by the religious community of the northern kingdom. It was deemed to be okay. Depravity and blasphemy were found among the leaders of the nation. And the religious leaders of Hosea's time were given to corruption. They were very corrupt. Far more given to corruption than they were given to serving God. And again, I can't state it enough, Hosea had the difficult task of telling his generation, telling them that they were sinners, something they didn't want to hear. Not only were they sinners, but they needed to shuva, to turn back to God. Now, how many agree that would be a difficult task to a generation like that? What made it even more compounded the difficulties compounded, was that many of them were actually prospering through commerce. They were prospering. And they, so they did not like being told by some prophet 
They didn't like being told that they were sinning in the sight of God. They looked at their own prosperity, and they thought, well, that's a sign that I'm really doing right because I'm prospering. How many know that wicked people can prosper too? So they, they were confused. They were serving false gods. They were setting up their own uh, religious standards. There was corruption within the priesthood. There was uh, the, the, all the religious leaders. There was corruption. And they were confused about their own status, their own state, and their own condition. To me, I don't know, it sounds a little bit like our generation. <laughs> In fact, they had set up their own idols to replace the true God of Israel. They had their own idols they developed. And they began to favor, and you can read about in Hosea and in parallel passages, they began to favor religious rites, religious actions that were convenient, easier. Religious rites and Actions that were convenient and not religious practices that required any type of sacrificial deed. They wanted their idols set up in their neighborhood so they didn't have to travel long distances. They despised ongoing generosity. They felt like, no, this is mine, this is mine, this is mine. And they held with a tight fist their prosperity. And they also didn't want anything that involved extreme effort on their part. That paints a dark picture, and you can see why. Not too long after Hosea's ministry to that particular generation in the northern kingdom, that the Lord allowed the Assyrians to come in. It's not hard to see why. Now, I may be mistaken about this, but I do see a strong parallel between that generation in our generation, there's a strong parallel. And as our society grows farther away from truth and trust in God, I hope I'm wrong about this, but only bad will come of it. The farther we drift away from the Lord and His Word, only bad will come of it. Surely God is not, He's not pleased when a nation turns from Him and the nation doesn't turn to him. When there's shuvah, but it's shuvah in the wrong direction. If we're going to shuvah, let us shuvah, let us turn to the Lord. And may that be true for us here today, that in our lives that we turn towards God. We turn towards that which is right in his sight. Regardless of what the generation around us may be doing, we turn to God. And we look to him. I don't believe the Lord is pleased with a nation that flaunts wickedness. I don't believe he's pleased with a people that distrust him. Don't believe him at his word. Don't take him at his word. I don't believe he's pleased with a nation that seeks its own good pleasure rather than serving the God of heaven and earth through whom we have all these blessings that he has lavished upon us. How many would agree that he's lavished blessings on you? He has lavished blessings on us. High on that list is the forgiveness of our sin. If you're a believer today, 
The forgiveness of your sin is a great blessing to you. It's a great blessing to us. In just a while, at the end of my remarks, we're going to commemorate the Lord's Supper. And deeply connected to that are the elements of it, which point to his shed blood, which was for the remission of our sins. And also the wafer, the bread that we use that commemorates his broken body, the price he paid because of our sinfulness when he himself was without sin. Now, this is pretty dark so far what I'm talking about, but Hosea has some of the more beautiful passages in it. And in the very same chapter, Hosea chapter 14, let me read again the first two verses of Hosea chapter 14 from the English text. Return to the Lord your God, for you have stumbled because of your iniquity. Take words with you and return to the Lord. Say to him, take away all iniquity, receive us graciously, for we will offer the sacrifices of our lips. If returning to the Lord would indeed be the course taken by the nation, it is also Hosea that gives us this promise, this response, if you will, to that nation that turns to him. It's in Hosea chapter 14, verse 4. A couple of verses later, he says, I will heal their backsliding. I will love them freely for my anger has turned away from him. On one hand, the reality of that generation of Hosea's time was dark and not good. But still in the midst of that darkened generation, there was the offer, the extension of hope that if you'll shuvah, if you'll turn, I will heal your backsliding, I will love you freely, and my anger will be turned away from you. Now, friends, on this Shabbat Shuvah, which is the name of the special name given to this particular Sabbath that occurs between Yom Tuvah, commonly called Rosh Hashanah here in the U.S., and Yom Kippur, this very Shabbat, Shabbat Shuvah, we're found once again weighed in the balances, as Jewish tradition expresses. We're weighed in the balances, not only on an individual level. Our whole life is right before the eyes of God. But how is God viewing the nations? And I hope and pray that we continue to lift up this nation, the United States. How many of you are praying for revival in this land? We need it. If this one little survey is any indicator, we need something to happen within the hearts of all the generations, even the silent generation. We need something to happen. And on this Shabbat, this Shabbat Shuvah, as we head towards Yom Kippur, we should take stock and we should realize exactly what we do face in our lives. Now, if you're a believer in Yeshua, you are part of what could be called a witness people, and Christopher alluded some to this in some of what he was sharing. You're a witness people. Do you realize that you represent the Lord to those that you come in contact with? If you're a believer, you're representing the Lord. If you're bearing his name, you're representing the Lord to those that you have contact with. That can be your friends. That can be your coworkers, your family members. You are representing the Lord. That's called being a witness people. 
And you know, whether we acknowledge it or not, once we start proclaiming the name of the Lord, we're a witness people. We're testifying of him with our lives, with our words, with our action, with our motives, with our intentions, with all those things that come forth from our life that people observe. Now, it's one thing to realize you represent the Lord and his will, but it is another thing to realize your daily life must consist of those things that are compatible with representing him, that are compatible with messianic faith, faith in the Messiah. So your task as a witness people is actually a prophetic task. You know, it's not that much different than what Hosea was called to be and do in his generation. You're called to direct people, to point people, to direct them to the only one that can really save their soul, which is Yeshua, Jesus the Messiah. There's salvation in no other name. I don't care whatever name you can pick. There's salvation in no other name including our own names. But hallelujah, there's salvation in his name to whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. So the name of Yeshua is a very holy name. It's a powerful name. Trusting him is a powerful thing. I know in my own life it was total shuva for me. For many of you, I know some of your testimonies is total shuva for you. When you found out about Yeshua, it was Shuva. It was turning to God and being thankful for all that he's given to you. The task is a prophetic task, even as we are witness people. So the question that can be asked is, what should we be ascribing to in our lives as Yeshua's followers? What are some of the signposts for us, some of the key things that our lives should be about? as followers of Yeshua. Now, in response to the query, what should we be doing as Yeshua's followers, I want to offer, in conclusion, five areas of our lives that we should be daily endeavoring to uphold in the midst of the ever-darkening generation that we live in. Five areas. I call these five areas the holy W's. Why? Because each of the five areas involves the letter W. It's a word that begins with the letter W. Now, for example, here's area of endeavor number one, that we as a witness people, as a prophetic people in the midst of a generation that all indicators are continues to darken. And here we are, like Hosea of old, we're in the middle of it. We sense a divine commission to be a servant of the Lord in the midst of that generation. So area of endeavor number one that I want to point out to us involves God's word. The W is word. If there are five holy W's, the first one is God's word. And in Yaakov, in James chapter 1, verse 21, we read this. It's a Shuvah passage. Therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. And verse 22 is a powerful verse. It's a challenging verse. But be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. 
W number one of the five holy W's is God's word. Endeavor to be into God's word on a daily basis. Endeavor number two is God's will, his will. How many agree it's important to know his will and to do his will? It's very important for us. Uh, Ephesians chapter 5 verse 21 says, for, says, Therefore do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And many times, and I'll just share this with you, many times I've had to get on my face before the Lord or pray to the Lord and say, Lord, show me what your will is. Anybody resonate with that? Have you ever had to do that? Because there are times when we don't exactly understand what his will is. Our flesh tendency would be to go the easy way, the thing that involves the less sacrifice and all that. But that's not always the way of God's will. Ask Yeshua. <laughs> it's, not always, it's not always the easy way that's God's will. So we need a determination in our own soul where we are committed to do his will. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And Matthew 7, 21 is a game-changer passage in my opinion. These are the words of Yeshua, and he says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, you can even have the words right. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does, does the will of my Father in heaven. So you can even know what the will is, but if you're not doing it, you're on the wrong side of this equation. So don't be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is and recognize that not everyone who says to Yeshua, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but the person who does the will of my Father in heaven, he said. Would you agree with me that doing the will of the Lord is highly significant for us? In the days of Hosea, they totally flipped that off. They didn't want anything to do with it. They didn't want to do the Lord's will. They wanted to do whose will? Their own will. And they picked the easiest way to go. A religious expression that involved no inconvenience. A religious expression, idols that they created that involved no generosity. Religious expression that involved really no sacrifice at all on their part. So we want to be endeavorers in God's word. We want to be endeavorers concerning his will. And endeavorment number three is God's ways. This is in the central figure of the five. God's ways. Psalm 25, verses 8 and 9 say this. Good and upright is the Lord. Notice this next phrase, please. Therefore, he teaches sinners in the way. Now, if a person thinks, oh, I've never said, I don't know what, you know, I, I'm, I'm blameless. I, the, the, where, where does that leave them in this equation? They feel they have no need, so they have no need for God. But it says, good and upright, Tova Yashar, good and upright is the Lord, therefore he teaches sinners in the way. And then verse 9 exemplifies this further. The humble he guides in justice, and the humble he teaches his way. So where does that leave those that think they have it all figured out? They don't need God. They're prospering. Why would they need God? Where does it leave them? It leaves them in a bad spot. 
There's a premium in the kingdom for being humble before the Lord. Knowing who you are before God is definition of humility. And there's a premium for being teachable before the Lord. If you read Scripture and you already got it all figured out and you're not looking to the Lord to guide you with Scripture, there you're in a bad place. The book of Hosea does have a noteworthy ending. Some of you are familiar with it. We read about God's ways in the very final verses of the book of Hosea. In Hosea chapter 14, verse 9, it says, Who is wise? Who is wise? Let him understand these things. Who is prudent? Let him know them. For the ways of the Lord are right. Sadikim Yahuvam, it says. The righteous walk in them, but transgressors stumble in them. Did you notice that simple statement that he made? And just think about that statement in the age that Hosea was prophesying. And he's, he's proclaiming to them, he says, the ways of Adonai are right. And they're looking at their own expressions that they developed, and they're saying, no, I don't think that's true, Hosea. Our ways are right. For the ways of the Lord are right. The righteous walk in them, but transgressors stumble in them. That brings me to area of endeavor number four. And I've alluded to it already, but it's very critical. God's wisdom. God's wisdom is not the wisdom of men. It's very different. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, beginning with verse 23, says this. But we preach Messiah crucified. To the Jews, a stumbling block. And to the Greeks, foolishness. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Messiah, the power of God, and Messiah, the wisdom of God. In 1 Corinthians also chapter 1, a little later on in the same chapter, beginning with verse 30, we read this. But of him you are in Messiah Yeshua, who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness, and sanctification, and redemption. How many are glad that those other three are connected here? Righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. Wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption are all connected to Yeshua, the Messiah. Verse 31, that as it is written, written by Jeremiah the prophet, he who glories, he who boasts, let him glory in the Lord. And that brings me to the last endeavor area, number five. Endeavor area number five, if we're going to walk daily with the Lord, these are part of our life. That is, it's also a W. God's work, his work. From an early age, it seemed Yeshua was aware. He was aware that he was about the Father's business. You remember that passage, it's in Luke chapter 2, verse 49. They found him, uh, he had been left behind. There's the original left behind story right there. He'd been left behind at Yerushalayim at Pesach. And his family had gone on two, three days there. They realized he was gone. They found him at the Beit HaMikdash, at the temple. 
And they come to him and they said, basically, I'm paraphrasing, they said, why did you, what, what happened? Why did you do this? And uh, the a number of things that he says, but he says this to them. It's in Luke chapter 2, verse 40, 49. Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? Just think about that. He was approximately 12 years old at that time. That at that time he realized that his life was all about the father's work doing the work of God. How about our lives? Are you a workman, rightly dividing the word of truth? Are you a workman used by the Lord for his purposes and plan? That's what he desires of us. Because anything we endeavor to do for God's kingdom really must be done by faith in Yeshua. Our first passage, Hebrews 11, verse 6, without faith it's impossible to please him. And Yeshua said this in Yohanan in John chapter 6, beginning with verse 28. He said, Then they said to Yeshua, What shall we do that we may work the works of God? I think that's a good question. How many agree? That's a pretty good question. What shall we do that we may work the works of God? They asked him. I don't know what they expected to hear as a response, but this is the response they God has recorded in John chapter 6, verse 29. Yeshua answered and said to them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he sent. That's where the rubber meets the road for us. Do you truly believe in Yeshua as your Lord and Savior? That's where the kingdom work begins. That's where it goes forward. For some of us, the moment that we made that confession of faith, we've been involved with a whole different level of work than we would have been. And for you today, each of us in our life circumstances, this is the work of God, that you believe in him who we sent. Well, I'm thrilled to declare to you today that despite the bad news of surveys, the bad news we see sometimes on television, the things we hear over the airwaves sometimes that really rankle us and cause us concern. I'm convinced that God has many people in this generation, many, many. And I believe he has many people, including here at Rosh Pina. And we need to be active about these five W's. If you try to detract one of them, it's going to detract from you and your witness. He has many here. And we are people that we want to be about his word. We want to endeavor to do his will. We want to seek to walk in his ways. We want to give priority to his wisdom. And we want to faithfully do the work of God that he's assigned to us as part of the community. But still, I think we should be greatly concerned we should be greatly concerned by the trend that's developing in our nation that indicates that there's some developing things that continue to progress that are not the best, how would I say it, for God to see. They're not the best things for Hashem to see about our nation. There is, though there are those who are falling away from the Lord who are turning away from him. And we should emphasize in our lives as we have contact with people, those five W's, his word, his will, his ways, his wisdom, and his work. Now, if that's not good enough for us, I want to leave you with a sixth W. 
Now this one, for those that don't really like his word, his will, his ways, his wisdom and his work, there is a sixth W. And that sixth W is the word warning. Warning. And I'm going to leave you with a scriptural warning about our own lives. Here during these 10 days of awe, when even within the Jewish community there's more seriousness about a spiritual walk than there could be all the other rest of the days combined in the year. But that 6W, I will leave it to the words of the apostle, Rav Shaul, Paul the apostle, in Galatians chapter 6, beginning of verse 7. He says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a person sows, that will that person also reap. For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap what? Corruption. But he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. And let us not grow weary while doing good. For in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith. Will you please bow your heads with me and your hearts as we pray, and then we're going to enter into the Lord's Supper together. I think it's absolutely incredible that this month, at this season, we have the Lord's Supper during the 10 days of all. Let's pray together. Let's just take a moment. Think about the five W's. And I hope that's enough for you that you don't need the six W. Recommit. Shuvah. Turn where you need to turn to him. Ask him for help if help is what you really need. And I think we all need it. Ask him to strengthen you. Ask him to use you. Ask him to empower you. And as we partake of the Lord's Supper, just consider, ask him to heal you so that you might be healed. Heal me, Lord, and I shall be healed. Consider those in your life, those you have contact with, family members, those that you love. Make this a time to lift them before him. Present them to him in prayer and thought. Our fathers in heaven, we praise your holy name this day. We thank you for your ways that are not the ways of this world. We thank you for your wisdom that is not the wisdom of this world. We thank you, O oh Lord, for your will that is not the will that anyone else could foist upon us, but it's your will. We thank you, Lord, for your work that you call your people to be active in your kingdom, not passive observers. We thank you especially, Lord, for your wisdom. For Messiah has been made wisdom unto us. Lord, please hear the cries of each of us here in the sanctuary. Our intercessions for loved ones. Our concerns for our own lives that we would at this time really do shuvah to shuvah and turn to you that this would not be a situation where we just think it but don't do it, but that we would actually do it, Lord. And thank you for your faithfulness on this Shabbat. We lift up the United States to you. I ask that you would be with the leaders of this land, 
this very difficult time. We pray for what's happening in Ukraine and in Russia. And they ask, Lord, that you'll usher many into your kingdom, that they'll come to faith in your holy son, Yeshua. Thank you, Lord. Blessed be your name. B'Shem Yeshua. Amen. You've been listening to the Shabbat message from Rosh Pinah Messianic Jewish Congregation in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. We would love to have you visit us. Our weekly services begin at 10.40 a.m. each Shabbat, and we are located at 2600 Northwest 55th Place, north of Northwest Expressway at the corner of Northland Avenue and Northwest 55th Place. We meet each Shabbat for wonderful praise and worship with dance, liturgy, teaching, food, fellowship, excellent children's programs, and Bible studies on Tuesday nights. For more information, please visit our website, www.roshpinah.org. That's R-O-S-H-P-I-N-A-H dot O-R-G. You can also reach us by phone at 405-842-1967 or email us at info at roshpinah.org. Thank you for spending time in the Word with us today. Shabbat Shalom and blessings in Messiah Yeshua.